Love a good fright? Stream your fears with Shudder. From the legendary monsters that fuel your nightmares to under-the-radar haunts and acclaimed exclusives like Creepshow and Slasher, Flesh and Blood, experience what Polygon calls a horror movie paradise and what RogerEbert.com says is one of the best streaming services in the world. Stacked with chilling content, all curated by the industry's top horror experts, Shudder's library of frightening films and eerie series covers the horror spectrum, meaning there's something for every type of horror, thriller, and supernatural fan. Available ad-free and on the platforms you're already on. Sign up today at Shudder.com. Shudder, so good, it's scary. There's a reason podcasts are popping up everywhere. Podcasts can make you money. And Spreaker is the easiest way to start a podcast. You could literally record your first episode today. Spreaker has all the tools you need to record, edit, publish, and yeah, monetize your podcast all in one place. And it's free. So tell your story and make money while doing it. Start your podcast for free now at Spreaker.com slash make money. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com slash make money from the iHeart Podcast Network. There's a reason podcasts are popping up everywhere. Podcasts can make you money. And Spreaker is the easiest way to start a podcast. You could literally record your first episode today. Spreaker has all the tools you need to record, edit, publish, and yeah, monetize your podcast all in one place. And it's free. So tell your story and make money while doing it. Start your podcast for free now at Spreaker.com slash make money. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com slash make money from the iHeart Podcast Network. It's Friday night, and we're driving down the Pacific Coast Highway that winds through Malibu toward the blue neon glow of Joffrey's restaurant. On September 16, 2009, 24-year-old Mitrice Richardson took this same route in her 1998 Honda Civic. She went inside the restaurant and ordered a Kobe steak and a sea breeze. Many diners and restaurant workers noted her behavior as, quote, off. Before the night was over, Mitrice found herself in a Lost Hills Sheriff's Department holding cell. The officers who took her to jail drove way past the strip of sand called Billionaire Beach, home to CEOs and Hollywood royalty. Mitrice was in the back of the cruiser as it curved sharply into the Santa Monica Mountains near the gated communities of Calabasas that Kim Kardashian West and Will and Jada Pinkett Smith call home. But it's a long way from the surfers and the celebrity hotspots. Up here, the roads have no shoulders and steep drop-offs. Her final destination was the Lost Hills Sheriff's Station in the middle of nowhere. And that's where, on Thursday at 12.15 a.m., Mitrice was released. Now, this is the same sheriff's station where Mel Gibson was arrested for drunk driving. Even after a drunken rant, officers safely drove Mel back to his car when he sobered up. There was no courtesy ride for Mitrice, the young African-American woman with no famous last name. She was released into the pitch black night and had no car, no cell phone, no money. She was 40 miles from home and had no way of getting back. Mitrice disappeared into the darkness and was never seen alive again. To this day, 
No one knows what happened to my trees. I'm Katherine Townsend. This is Hell and Gone. We're going to Inglewood Cemetery, and we're going to um, talk to Dr. Rhonda Hampton at Mitrice's gravesite because today is the anniversary of the day that she disappeared. Take the next right onto East Florence Avenue. Then your destination will be on the right. Sorry, <laughs> the car beeps at me. It scares me. Inglewood Cemetery is located right next to the airport. The cemetery is huge, so huge that it's divided by two-way streets. Beautiful, peaceful, lots of palm tree lined streets. Mitrice's um, plot is located on Fairhaven. Today, some of her friends and loved ones have gathered to remember her. Dr. Rhonda Hampton organized the event today. Dr. Rhonda is a clinical psychologist who first met Mitrice in 2006 when Mitrice was her intern. This is... Um, where my trees is laid to rest. And next to her great-grandmother and her uncle. She's buried next to her uncle, who was shot and killed by police in 1986, and her great-grandmother, Mildred, whom my trees was living with when she went missing. Okay, let's do this. All right. Dear Father God, we come before you, and we thank you that this is the day uh, that you have made. We are accepting, Father, what has happened uh, to my trees, but we are not accepting, Father, that justice is uh, has happened. So, Father, we're praying for today that this would be a reminder for us that we will all continue to work together uh, to push forward uh, for justice. And even though the road becomes hard and difficult, we thank you that we can rely upon your strength. Dr. Rhonda and mourners have brought dozens of sunflowers, Mitrice's favorite. She sets up a memorial display with Mitrice's graduation photo, and she brought gift bags for anyone coming by today, featuring the Justice for Mitrice logo, a sunflower with a butterfly. Inside are masks, a sign of the COVID times, and sunflower seeds. Anytime I see sunflowers, that always makes me happy, I think, because, when it, because Mitrice loves sunflowers. Yeah. And then when I see sunflowers for her, then it makes me feel really happy. Mm -hmm. And I and actually I've been really scared to come to her um, her site. I don't even know why. Yeah. And this is the this is the first time you've been here since Yeah, since the service. Yeah. I don't know. This is the first time that Rhonda has been to Mitrice's gravesite since the day they buried her. And that is a day she doesn't want to remember. And on that day, you know, like it's not done. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, yeah. here we're burying her. It, it was like a circus. It was like a media circus mm -hmm. to begin with. No respect for her whatsoever. 
you know, like the sheriffs were talking shit. It's like, come on, let her just be buried, <laughs> you know? So I, I, that was just very frustrating. And, and, then, and then on the day of her funeral, I, um, so this is what happened. I, I asked the forensic anthropologist that was volunteering that whenever, whenever we found my Teresa's body, would she come and do a, um, like a, um, an autopsy, right? So when she was found, then I called her and I said, they found her. The thing is, she was in England at the time. So she had to, she says, the only way, the only day I can get back is on September 17th. And that was the day that the, the service was already planned. So like only hours before her funeral, she uh, was doing the autopsy, just hours before. So then right when the service was going to start, right when the service was going to start, then that's when I get the phone call, right? <laughs> her body had not been analyzed. Her clothing were in the body bag. Clothing in the body bag. Her body had not been analyzed. Anthropologist is like, we got to figure out what to do, right? So we got like five minutes to make a decision. What are we going to do? I was at the church. Everybody's rolling in. Yeah, so we were like, okay, so we're just going to have to, we're just going to have to bury her because we were, it's like, if they would put her clothing in the body bag to be buried, you know that they're trying to hide. So we had, so we had to, we just had to have the funeral. So all the time we're sitting there. Or I don't even think I told her mom. I think I just had to wait. Like just sitting there. It's like, okay, so we're just going to let this funeral happen. So I'm preoccupied. I'm not thinking about none of this. I'm thinking about Colin Lee Baca and the corners and like, what the fuck? So all that, I'm not even thinking about it. None of it. Sitting in the church, pissed off, right? Yeah, so that's what happened on that day. So no, that was not a beautiful day or whatever. I was very preoccupied with getting the hell out of here and just jamming up whoever needed to be jammed up. I've been following my Teresa's case for a long time. I first heard about it in late 2009 when I was living in L.A. and I remember seeing a mention of the search in Malibu. The story seemed so strange. A woman who'd been arrested, then let go in the middle of the night, and then vanished without a trace. I was actually working and training as a PI during that time in Agora Hills, so I would have to make the drive through the Calabasas area. I remember seeing people holding signs and wearing Have You Seen My Trees t-shirts. According to news reports, there were multiple searches by police in Malibu, by the LAPD, and by hundreds of volunteers. But then the story just seemed to disappear. I never even knew that her remains had been found. When I first read about my Teresa's story, it was kind of presented as a girl who may have been on drugs or on the streets or possibly wandered into the woods and was suicidal. As it turns out, it wasn't like that at all. My Teresa was a young woman with a caring family who was vulnerable on one night, and the people around her wanted her to be safe. Then she went to what should have been the safest place in the world, the Lost Hills Sheriff's Station, and then just vanished. Another thing that interested me about the area where this took place was the fact that it's very remote. People have this misconception that this area is buzzing because it's close to Malibu Beach and the Hollywood hangouts. But the truth is, once you turn up toward the canyon, the areas around there are cut off from anywhere. You're in the mountains within a couple of minutes. Up there, it's all horse trails. 
and very remote neighborhoods that are cut off from the surrounding world by the Santa Monica Mountains. And the nearby communities of Agoura Hills and Simi Valley are also very different from Malibu and Los Angeles. They're small town, predominantly white, very conservative, and heavily populated by people who work in law enforcement. Side note, the community of Simi Valley was the home of two of the Ventura County jurors who acquitted the police officers who beat Rodney King in 1992, triggering the LA riots. And in the past couple of years, there have been several mysterious deaths in the area. In January 2017, 20-year-old Elaine Park had a date night with her boyfriend. He said she left in the early morning hours the next day. Her car was found abandoned on Pacific Coast Highway a few days later, but she was never seen again. Then, in 2018, Tristan Baudet, a young father of two, was shot while sleeping in his tent in the Santa Monica National Park campground. A drifter named Anthony Rauda has been charged with Baudet's murder. But there have been many other mysterious shootings in the area, and a lot of people believe that Rauda is not responsible for all of them. But what's so odd to me about Mitrice's case is the fact that you can disappear so close to one of the most star-studded and populated places in the world. Love a good fright? Start streaming and screaming with Shudder. From the legendary monsters that fuel your nightmares to under-the-radar haunts and critically acclaimed exclusives, discover what Polygon calls a horror movie paradise and what RogerEbert.com says is one of the best streaming services in the world. Stacked with chilling content, all curated by the industry's top horror experts, Shudder's library of frightening films and eerie series cover the entire horror spectrum, meaning there's something for every type of fan. Come experience highly anticipated new releases like Superhost, Seance starring Suki Waterhouse, and the Boulay Brothers' Dracula. Plus, don't miss out on Creepshow, Slasher, Flesh and Blood, and other must-see Shudder exclusives you won't find anywhere else. Available ad-free and on the platforms you're already on. Sign up today at Shudder.com. Shudder, so good it's scary. This episode is sponsored by Maidenhome. High-quality, handcrafted furniture for the modern home. Maidenhome brings you thoughtfully designed custom furniture, handcrafted in North Carolina. This region is home to some of the world's most talented artisans who are experts in woodworking, upholstery, and finishing. By partnering directly with these family-owned workrooms, Maidenhome gives you access to the world's finest craftsmanship without the retail markup. From sofas and sectionals to tables and beds, you'll find beautiful heirloom-quality pieces that will last for years. And with over 60 fabrics and leathers and a variety of wood finishes to choose from, you can create a piece custom to your design style. Enjoy complimentary white glove delivery on all orders, a lifetime warranty, and easy returns within 30 days. To browse the latest collection and order free swatches, visit MadeInHome.com. That's M-A-I-D-E-N-H-O-M-E.com to start building your custom piece today. Good afternoon. Would you like to try a free sample of our double fudge brownie? Oh, sure. Mmm, that's very good. I'll just take one more, just to be sure. Yep, still very good. Some things never change, like never being able to take just one free sample. And Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Mmm, is that macadamia nut I taste? Let me take one more. Sir, mmm. I thought so. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. 
When Mitrice was taking the drive that night, she had a lot on her mind. For the past several months, her life had been in transition. She was interning with Rhonda and looking at graduate schools. Before we went to the cemetery with Rhonda, we gave her a call to get her perspective on the case. She's been investigating Mitrice's death for over 10 years. Hello? Oh, hi, Dr. Hampton. Hi, how are you? Hi, I'm good. Thank you for talking to me. Rhonda says she will never forget the first day that Mitrice walked into her office. What was she like? So, Mitrice, um, I have to tell you, when, okay, so I kind of had a little bit of an attitude taking on an intern. I really didn't want to. My daughter was just starting school that week, first grade, and I just was not interested in supervising someone because it's quite, you know, it's a bit of a responsibility, right? And so on the very first day that she came into my office was the first day that my daughter started school, right? So I, you know, come rushing into the office and she was already there, but I'll tell you when I fell in love with her. I, in between clients, I overheard her talking to someone over the phone. Now, I, I don't actually recall who it was, but she was very clear in saying, well, this is Dr. Hampton's office and this is how she runs things. And, you know, I will take your, you know, your message and I will pass it on to her. But she was very stern in the way she said it. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> my own heart. She was just like laying down the law in a very, in a very, very respectful manner, but really firm. So I absolutely, I was like, I just double take like, wait, who are we here? <laughs> and, um, a couple hours later, I had a break, and then, you know, we just, it was just, you know. It was uh, on. It, it was on, you know. We, and I was, I had graduated from Cal State Fullerton, so we had that in common, and, and she was just smart as a whip, so it was nothing to kind of just really take her under my wing and, um, you know, just show her everything that I possibly could. Yeah, she That's seemed like an amazing, she seemed like a really amazing person. You know, and, and the good thing is, like, you, she really was, and it's hard to, you know, you hear that stuff all the time, but it's like, she was so dynamic, you know? Yeah. Um, just just smart and very pleasant and very, uh, very cheerful and, you know, just respectful and, and inquisitive, like, all those things. And, and, and also, I learned very quickly that she definitely was uh, – going to be a better therapist than, than me and um, she, she had much more compassion natural compassion than I do the week Mitrice disappeared she had scheduled a lunch with Rhonda to talk about her grad school application she wanted to become a child psychologist but until then she was working to pay the bills she worked a clerical job with a shipping company, and on Friday nights, she was a go-go dancer at an LGBT club in Long Beach called Deborah's. Mitrice lived with her great-grandmother, Mildred, in Inglewood, a neighborhood in South Los Angeles near LAX. Her father, Michael Richardson, had not been around much during Mitrice's childhood, but as she grew up, they started to rebuild their relationship, and they were in touch regularly when Mitrice disappeared. Mitrice had also recently come out as a lesbian, and she started dating a boxer named Tessa. Tessa and Mitrice had broken up in the spring. Mitrice reportedly became fixated on a woman named Vanessa, who was a regular at Deborah's. But Vanessa wasn't interested. But Mitrice also appeared to be suffering from some mental health issues. 
After her disappearance, her mom, Latisse Sutton, went through Mitrice's social media posts, and what she found there was disturbing. On MySpace, Mitrice had posted, Have you ever woke up at 7 a.m. crying on a Saturday? Because now that you see the light, you see all the people lost in the dark. Welcome to my reality. In the days before her disappearance, Mitrice wrote on Facebook that she was not sleeping, and her thoughts appeared to be becoming more and more erratic and had a kind of manic energy. Then, on the day she went missing, her boss said that she showed up for work in a good mood. She went out for lunch, but didn't come back. This was totally out of character for her. Then, Mitrice went back to her great-grandmother's house in Inglewood. She had some business cards printed up with her dancer name, Hazel, on them, and she pasted them all over the windows of the house. After Mitrice left that afternoon, Mitrice's aunt Lauren found that she'd also left a strange note on her husband's windshield with some nonsensical writing and the words, Black woman scorned. Rhonda also said Mitrice had visited an old professor of hers that day. The day before Mitrice uh, went missing, she had shown up to her old college professor's office. So this is a woman who she really, you know, liked a lot. So she showed up and the office staff told her, Mitrice, like, um, you know, she's not going to be out for a while because she's teaching a class. But um, Mitrice waited there for, for a long time. And then eventually the professor came. And, and the professor, I know because I talked to the professor, um, the professor thought that Matrice was acting odd, so she walked Matrice over to a, to a psychologist that, you know, was in the same building with her to, to, in the hopes that this person would get Matrice some help. And Matrice kind of picked up on, on it, and she ran away and said, okay, that's fine, I'm just going to go be with my friends. So she left, and then she met up with her friends, and she was crying because, you know, the professor didn't believe her and thought that something was wrong with her. So everybody was picking up on that something was wrong with her. She was just acting odd, and she was posting on Facebook all kinds of odd things, probably for 24 hours straight, just constantly posting. And so one of the things that she posted, or I don't remember she posted this or told one of her friends, I'd have to look at my notes, but that the ocean was calling her. And so we believe that that's why she went to to Malibu, because the ocean was calling her. We're driving out to Joffrey's to retrace Mitrice's steps the night she went missing. Yes, yeah, so right now we're going to Joffrey's Restaurant in Malibu, which is along the Pacific Coast Highway, and it's the last place where Mitrice was. It's where she went the night that she disappeared um, and where she was arrested and taken into custody. Um, so we're going to go and scope it out, and then we're going to go to the Lost Hills Sheriff Station. Malibu, California, is one of the most famous cities in the world, known for its spectacular beaches and breathtaking views. It's also home to one of the country's most impressive restaurants, renowned for its natural beauty, impeccable service, and fabulous cuisine. Joffrey's Malibu, an oceanside dining experience. From the way that Mitrice was acting earlier in the day, we know that something wasn't quite right. According to an L.A. Magazine article written by Mike Kessler, when Mitrice got to Joffrey's, she did something pretty strange. She got out of her car and into the valet's car. Then the valet, Kenneth Cargill, asked Mitrice what she was doing there. She said, it's subliminal. 
and then started muttering something about avenging the death of Michael Jackson. Kenneth said he parked her car, and when he came back, he noticed that Mitrice was still sitting in his car, going through his CD collection. Mitrice asked Kenneth if he was a music lover. When he said that he was, she said she couldn't figure out how to get his car started. Despite the strange behavior, Kenneth said that Mitrice was polite and friendly this entire time. Then Mitrice asked Kenneth if he had seen Vanessa, as if he knew the person she was talking about. She told him to keep an eye out for a girl with tattooed arms. Vanessa was most likely the girl that Mitrice's friends and family said she had a crush on. Mitrice then went to the hostess stand. That's where Caroline Paris was stationed that night. She'd been working at Joffrey's for a few months. Caroline immediately noticed that Mitrice was acting a little strangely. She arrived near the hostess stand where I, where I worked. Um, so I greeted her and asked if she was having dinner um, with us and, and said, you know, let you come over towards me and we'll put your name in the computer because I think she was standing at a distance and we'll check you in for dinner. Um, but she didn't, she didn't respond to me. So I, I went back to the hostess stand myself. I think I'd gone up to her and I encouraged her to come with me, but and she didn't respond. So I went back to the computer, um, saw what tables were available, got a menu and went back to her and said, you know, you can follow me to a table. And she didn't respond again. So I, I wasn't totally sure if maybe she was shy or um, I just led her to a table and told her to enjoy her meal. And that's when she responded for the first time. And she smiled back and said, thank you so much. After seating my trees, the valet, Kenneth, told Caroline that there was something off about my trees and told her about the odd comments my trees had made in his car. He also said my trees had told him she was there to avenge the death of Michael Jackson. And the valet told me all of this, saying that he didn't think she was dangerous. Um, he just thought something was, was off. That was a word we used that night, if something was just off. So Caroline went over to Joffrey's manager and said that they had a customer acting bizarrely. He basically told her not to worry. This was Malibu, which definitely saw its share of eccentric characters. Maitreese sat at her table alone. She ordered an Ocean Breeze cocktail and a Kobe steak. She started to eat. And at some point, she joined a large party of seven people who were sitting nearby. Later, I did my rounds, like walking around the tables, and I noticed that she had gotten up from her table and moved to a large party table, a table with um, several other people. And she was talking and all the people were listening to her. Um, one of the customers got up from the table and as they walked past me, I asked if everything was okay. And they said that um, they used the word off, that something was off with the person who joined their table, but she wasn't harming anyone. Um, I just, at that point, just kept working. I didn't really think anything of it because being in LA, things often seemed off to me. They were really different than where I was from. And Malibu, we would get lots of different people out there. So I just, at that point, wasn't concerned. In the depositions of the people at the table Mitrice joined, they said Mitrice's behavior was strange, but they said she was friendly and animated. But it was not long before the conversation took a turn for the bizarre. She said she was from Mars and started talking about numerology and how everything was connected. She said a soap opera character had told her to drive there. Her server, Omar Martinez, told Caroline and others that something seemed off 
This was the second person after the valet to make that remark. Omar had asked Maitrice where she was from, and he got a different answer from what she told people at the table. Omar suspected Maitrice might not pay her bill. He said that, that he would make sure before she left and let me know that she had paid. And I said, okay. Um, he was said, you know, she'll probably just, for, she might forget. I don't think it's that she doesn't want to. Like, I think she just might forget to do it because, you know, she's in some kind of distracted state. At some point, the large party paid and left. My Trice got up to leave as well. When she got to the valet, the manager intercepted her and asked her how she planned to pay her $89 tab. Maitrice seemed surprised and said that the large party should have covered her tab. Maitrice then told him that he wasn't understanding the language of numbers. She said, it's okay for me not to pay the bill because the language of numbers, when they coincide like this, it makes sense. At this point, the manager is starting to suspect that something is seriously wrong. He asked her if she had any money in her pockets. And according to his deposition, Maitrice said, I am busted. She then told him that she was from Mars and made a comment about settling her debt with sex. Um, The manager was really patient with her um, and she seemed really jovial. She was laughing and joking and very lighthearted and friendly. He then told her that he was gonna have to call the police if she couldn't pay for her bill. And she said, okay. Lawful Sheriff Station Deputy Shalip, I can help you. Hi, I'm calling from Joffrey's restaurant in Malibu. Yeah. This is one of the Joffrey servers on the phone with police. We have a guest here who is refusing to pay her bill, and we think she may, I mean, she sounds really crazy. She may be on drugs or something. Um, we are wondering if someone can come by and pick her up. And is she a white, black, Asian, Hispanic? She's a um, young black girl. She's probably in her 20s. Okay, what's she wearing? She's wearing a black t-shirt and, I think, blue jeans. Is she with anybody else? No, it's just her. With the police on the way, Maitrice sat at the bar and then went over to the hostess stand. That's when Caroline had a longer conversation with Maitrice. She felt like they had a connection because both of them were in times of transition in their lives. Caroline had recently moved to L.A. to pursue acting, but was realizing that she didn't actually want to do it. Likewise, Maitrice was figuring out her next steps in life. That's when we interacted. Um, and no one was with us while we hung out for a few minutes. I asked her her name and she told me it was Maitrice and she spelled it. I can still kind of see, I can still kind of see her face as she spelled, I'm sorry, <laughs> as she spelled out her name. <laughs> She smiled really brightly and said, M-I-T-R-I-C-E. Um, she said, it's like mitt rice. And I told her my name and asked her what her age was. And she said, I'm 24. Since we were almost the same age, I told her that I was 25. And then I told her, um, <laughs> I told her my birthday and that I was a Leo because I had heard her mentioning signs to the table that she had joined earlier. And she laughed and said, oh yeah, you Leos are the worst. <laughs> And we laughed and we made small talk and then she made some um, additional odd comments about the language of numbers. And I asked her, she was talking about the binary system and she said, what's that? Um, So then I said, well, what what do you mean about the language of numbers? And she said, 
you know, when a number and a number coincide, you know what I mean, Caroline? And it was like she was talking to old friends when she engaged with me or the manager. And at that time, I thought she was under the influence of a drug or had some sort of mental illness. But again, I was um, younger and didn't really know what I know now. Um, based on the way she spoke to me, I had a feeling she had a lot going on and was trying to keep it together. Caroline asked if there was someone that she could call. Maitrice said she had no parents, but Maitrice did give Caroline her great-grandmother's phone number. So Caroline called Mildred, who offered to pay Maitrice's bill. But Joffrey's had no system for paying over the phone without a signature. Mildred was concerned. She said she couldn't drive up to Malibu because she was 91 years old. Maitrice got on the phone with Mildred and reassured her she was fine. At around 9 p.m., Frank Brower and Armando Lurero, both deputies from the Lost Hills Sheriff Station, showed up on the scene. A third deputy, John McKay, arrived as well. When they showed up, the police um, showed up, and one of them got on the phone with the great-grandmother. Um, it sounded like she was trying to get all the details. From what I could, based off of what I could here, it sounded like she was asking him details because he was giving her details as to where um, Matrice was going to be taken. While one of the officers was on the phone with her, um, Matrice told one of the other deputies that she was scared and asked her, and the deputy asked her, why are you scared? And she said, well, the city where I live in, if three officers walk up to a girl like me, then it's a bad sign. She also said, I've had officers be mean to me once. Um, I remember there was one deputy who was really kind and said, look, I'm a person just like you, just a normal person. They just make me wear this uniform. Um, Matrice said, okay, and seemed to be comforted by that. And she said, okay, I want to talk to you, to one of the deputies. And it seemed like a kind of cordial exchange. And um, one of the deputies started asking her questions. I at that point felt really um, sad about what was happening and I didn't want to watch her get arrested if that was what was going to happen. So I went um, to the break room for about five or 10 minutes, which um, so, I, so I didn't see what was happening. Deputies McKay and Brower searched Mitrice's cluttered car. They would later say the car looked like it had been trashed and maybe even lived in. The deputies found Matrice's driver's license, along with marijuana scraps and partially finished bottles of booze. In a later deposition, Brower said Lurero told him that Matrice was possibly drunk, making odd statements. For this reason, Brower said he was instructed to administer a field sobriety test. Brower said that he checked Matrice's eyes and pulse to complete the test to determine that she was sober. He estimated the test took around 15 minutes though Lurero would later state in his deposition that he did not order Brower to administer any sobriety test. Brower asked Mitrice if she was on medication and if she had ever been placed on a 72-hour hold. Mitrice said no. She was asthmatic and had an inhaler, but that was it. At that point, employees at Joffrey's considered paying Mitrice's bill themselves so she could walk with only a misdemeanor ticket for pot possession. The manager and some of the other staff were worried that Maitrice may not be safe behind the wheel of a car. So they did what they thought was the safest thing for her. They made sure that she went with the police. 
Maitrese was charged with defrauding an innkeeper and possession of marijuana. She was placed under arrest, put into the back of the police car, and taken to the Lost Hills Station. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Is that Shakespeare? Nope, it's Geico. Uh, Yeah, 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 that's Shakespeare from one of his unpublished works. Oh, it be not for awakening. Nay, giveth thou the berries. For 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. No, it's from Geico, because they help save people money. Well, I hate to break it to you, but Geico got it from Shakespeare. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. To show you how easy it is to file a claim with Geico, we hired a soap opera star. Gracious me, my car has storm damage and I've had to file a claim. Could it possibly get worse? Will my claims team leave me for someone else? Someone less intense? Um, no. Actually, when you file a claim with Geico, you get your own dedicated claims team who promises to stay with you throughout the process. Oh, I've never known such loyalty. I can't wait for the second season. Geico. Great service without all the drama. Geico knows there are many reasons why you ride. From the exciting adventure of the daily commute to the peace of mind that Geico always has your back with 24-7 access to claim service and legendary customer service. But Pamela Mund had one reason in particular. My skin is extremely averse to most fabrics, except for the soft, buttery feeling of leather. Thankfully, I found my clan of leather lovers in the biking community. It's been life-changing. Geico Motorcycle. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. While Matrice was still on the back of the police cruiser, her mother, Latisse, called the station. I am calling. I'm a little frazzled right now. I understand my daughter is being brought into the station. Matrice Richardson, have they made it to the station yet? And she's been booked. Okay. Is, is, do you know where she's coming from? Uh, it's some restaurant out in Malibu, and I, I didn't even think to get the name. The okay, manager's yeah, name the is... Only, the only place we have somebody that's in custody that they just... Announced on the radio that they're coming up is from Joffrey's in Joffrey's Highway. It's okay. the only female that's being brought up to the station as we speak. They actually just put it on the radio right before you called. Okay, okay. I'm I'm her mother, oh, okay. and are you guys going to book her and then release her on her own re- recognizance tonight because it, it, it's dark, she doesn't have a car, and I don't want her wandering out. I'm, I'm totally just taken aback because this is so out of character for her. Yeah. And you'll see when she comes in, she, she's well-spoken. I think the only way I will come and get her tonight is if you guys are going to release her tonight. If, yeah. if she's going to be held in custody for some type of arraignment tomorrow, mm-hmm. then I will wait until tomorrow. She definitely has no place, you know, I mean, she's not from that area, and I would hate to wake up to a morning report, girl, yeah. lost somewhere with her head chopped off. Uh-huh. So I guess I would have to come and get her. Oh, my God. Yeah, we're in a great hills. The only thing is, at least in the station here, she will be separated, so nobody's going to be with her. Uh, so at least that's, you know, the plus thing, so you don't have to worry about her safety. Uh, oh, yeah. No, I feel safe with her being yeah. in, in custody. It's being released, but I'm worried about it. It's, it's crazy out here. Early the next morning, Latisse called the station again. This time, she talked to the jailer, Sharon Cummings. Cummings told Latisse that Maitrese had already been released. The jailer said she had released Maitrese at 12.15 a.m. At this point, Maitrese was 40 miles from home. 
Cummings has maintained that Maitrese declined an offer to stay in the lobby and said that she told Cummings that she was going to meet friends. But the reality is Maitrese had no car, no purse, no money, no cell phone, and no way home. And at night, the area around Lost Hill Station is pitch black. All the businesses are closed. There are no buses. There's no public transportation. Maitrese walked out of the station at around 12.40 a.m. into the darkness. Later, Latisse called again. This time, she spoke to Kenneth Baumgartner. She asked him how long she had to wait to file a missing persons report. By this point, you can hear the desperation in Latisse's voice. Lost Hill Station, Baumgartner. Yes, hi, my name is Latisse Batten. I called not too long ago regarding my daughter, Maitrese Richardson. How long before a missing persons report can be filed? This phone call led to months of searching for Maitrese. Next time on Helen Gone. It just didn't ring true to me that she went missing. I think she was considered to be an expendable young black woman from South LA. It's a 50 mile long range, and you could theoretically walk for a long way and not hit anything. And where Maitrese was found was five steps from the starting area of the 27 square miles that they were going to start looking. If it continues like this, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say there's no way she walked here herself. I'm now more convinced that she did not walk here. Helen Gone is a production of School of Humans and iHeartRadio. It's written and narrated by me, Katherine Townsend. Our producers are Gabby Watts, Taylor Church, and James Morrison. Music is by Ben Salee. Mix is by Tune Welders. Our executive producers are Brandon Barr, Elsie Crowley, and Brian Lavin. Special thanks to Chip Croft for use of footage from his documentary, Lost Compassion. School of Humans. Support for this podcast is from Williams. We make clean energy happen. Williams is the first North American midstream company to establish a climate commitment and an immediate approach to a sustainable future. We've released our 2020 sustainability report to track progress on our ESG goals, which includes a near-term emissions reduction target of 56% by 2030. We're leveraging our natural gas-focused strategy to fight climate change today and build a clean energy economy tomorrow. Our infrastructure and commitment are transforming the future of energy. Learn more at williams.com. Courage. I learned it from my adoptive mom. Hold my hand. You hold my hand. <laughs> Learn about adopting a team from foster care at AdoptUSKids.org. You can't imagine the reward. Brought to you by AdoptUSKids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. I want to get back to kissing the cheeks of my grandbabies, making Sunday dinner with a house full of family and lots of laughs. <laughs> COVID-19 has changed how we live and how we feel. But now, there are vaccines. And they are the very first step that let us get back to what we miss most. It's okay to have questions. Is it safe? Should I wait? Now, get the facts. Visit GetVaccineAnswers.org so you can make an informed decision when vaccines are available to you. Brought to you by the Ad Council.